welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Jessica Hans, firefighter and fine artist. Enjoy. Michael? Yeah. Hold on one second. I got some okay. dongle issues right now. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's frustrating. We call those chingas or chingadera. Who's we? The Wild West. The people out in the Wild West. Uh, you just got out of work, right? Yeah, my yeah, mine are working. No, you just got out of work. Work. Oh yeah, I just got out of work. Yeah, um, we work eight a.m. to four thirty. However, we are supposed to be PTing from three thirty to four thirty, and I was like, Nah, I'm not going to PC today, so I I could take the call uh, a little earlier. Physical therapy? Physical training. Oh. Like um, running or hiking or going to the gym. So this question that comes to my mind, and it's, why is art not enough? Why do you have to fight fires and things like that? Sure. I think about that often, too. Um There are a lot of different reasons. Uh, So I do a lot of public service with the work and um, that's really satisfying to me. I think that was one of the first things that appealed to me about the job. I'd been working creatively for a decade, probably primarily working creatively for a decade and um, honestly felt, uh, like it was really self-serving. I found that, um, working creatively, I was selling my soul in a way that didn't feel good. Um, at least it didn't feel good to do only that exclusively. Um, I needed to find another outlet, you know, making art was a hobby, very early on. Um, but then I started relying on it for an income. Uh, you know, I monetized it and then I went full throttle into kind of self-employment and then I needed to make work to sustain myself. And then I supplemented with income uh, with like, uh, freelance jobs, but yeah, it just wasn't, it just wasn't good for my soul to you know, to only do art all the time. Um, and there was, go ahead. If I can ask, cause it doesn't look from the outside that you were necessarily selling your soul since that's a strong sentiment, but what aspect of it was soul selling that it had to be consistent and on demand? Um, yeah, it had to be consistent. I think at the time when I was working the hardest and making a lot of it was production ceramics and uh going to like higher end boutique stores 
Um, and I think that, uh, retail honestly doesn't appeal to me at all. Like consumerism is the worst <laughs> and I hate capitalism. And I felt like there, there were some projects that I got involved in that the end goal was just to get like more product to consumers who maybe really didn't care, you know, what went into the making of the thing, didn't really care about the process. Um, it was just like an item on a shelf in a cool store. Um, and yeah, maybe from the outside, it didn't seem like I was selling my soul, but it just like, it meant so much to me to stay on top of, you know, what was cool and what was hip that it was just like consuming my mind all the time. Um, and I didn't really have another outlet, but back to the whole, uh, it started out as a hobby and then turned into my career. Like that was my, that was the only thing I did. You know, I just made work all the time and I was like, dang, well, I need another hobby because I can't just work all the time and like, think about making art all the time. Um, so I started rock climbing and was like, oh yeah, this is cool. I'm really into this. And, uh, decided that being outside makes me really happy. Um, so I started thinking about different ways that I could, you know, continue my art practice, but have something else going on that enables be more physically active. Uh, I also really like manual labor, um, be more physically active and be outside. And then it just kind of fire fell into my lap, sort of. I drove through a huge fire out west in 2017 or 2018. It's a very remote part of northern Nevada. And uh, I was on a gravel two-track road, like, trying to get up to Boise. And I just happened to be on this road. But there was, like, a 35,000-acre fire burning. Um, and then, like, a 100 different people holding the line, like, holding the fire line. And there were women in there and older men and just like all kinds of different people. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. <laughs> this is what I want to do. And, uh, you know, work in fire is seasonal. So it enables me to be really focused on uh, land management, fire ecology and firework in the summertime. But then once fall hits or once the rain comes, uh, it's a dead stop and I can just go back to being creative for however many months out of the winter. Yeah. It makes sense to me. I, I had a similar thing with fabrication and um, manual labor and just trying to build things people actually needed. Albeit, uh -huh. like I still try to build objects that are beautiful and for sale. So there's like, uh -huh. it's not as pure in that sense, I would say. Um, okay. but that's kind of the answer I suspect, you know, I think it's like, I've thought about it for a long time. Why, why fine artists end up on an Island. And I think it's because there's this, this particular ideal of, um, self-expression, which is deeply overrated. And I think it's actually becoming more and more foisted upon people as like the, the North star you should aim for. And I personally just don't feel that it's complete enough to satisfy someone. 
Yeah. I don't, for me, it's not enough to satisfy. Um, you know, there are niches in within the creative world that are so satisfying, you know, certain individuals that you have collaborated with or people that you have just like maybe shown work with that you really connect with and certain communities are very special and unique. And that is satisfying. Yeah. Um, but I think that I found that I am happiest, uh, doing the land management work, um, being outside in the forest in really remote areas. And that's like all encompassing, like the most satisfying thing in the world. And I still think creatively constantly, you know, I think of fires, um, as a sort of creation in the way that it transforms the land, you know, fires alchemical. And then, um, there, you know, the process that occurs when a f- wildfire rips through terrain and the transformation that occurs afterward, like that is insane. That's so monumental to look at. And then you see a charred landscape and the aftermath. And, uh, yeah, it's like, a whole world of things happening and it's so beautiful to look at. Um, and then, you know, what happens after that, all of like the blooms that will come up in, a in a burn scar area, that's like seen some precipitation that's seen precipitation, um, shortly after it's super cool. Yeah. I mean, that also brings up this thing that's interesting to me where, there's this um, false notion that artists have cornered creativity. And um, like, I, I like, I work with a lot of contractors and blue collar people. Mm-hmm. And um, it requires a high level of creativity and persistence and intelligence, etc. There's this real interesting distinction as if like the artists have the monopoly on creative thinking. Meanwhile, they often have a monopoly on just frivolous thinking, a kind of thought detached from practicality, which is what I was missing personally. Yeah, kind of. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because ultimately, you know, everybody's living their own life. But by my stepping outside of the art world, like moving across the country to remote desert towns, I connected with all of the blue collar people and I'm doing you know, the same sort of intensive labor jobs that the townies are doing here. And yeah, I've learned so much, you know, I felt like I was living in an echo chamber back East and was just kind of regurgitating the same school of thought as like all of my friends, but was not exposing myself to different perspectives. Um, So that's been so important to me. Um, and it gives me a huge appreciation for all different types of people and all different ways of living. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the irony. It's a very, very weird. Um, I'm happy to throw people under buses if it <laughs> true. I just think it's true. Like we're social creatures. I've seen artists literally deteriorate, you know, from the activity. And I don't think it's a coincidence i've tried to figure that out for a while like are artists mentally unstable because they're open and they're all these ideas rushing in or 
is there like a weird stereotype that they pursue and that their colleges reaffirm when they literally don't have any type of physical activity or emphasis on health or sports or eating? Um, the division is so strange to me. Like I went to an art school and I was, I always loved sports. So I was like very frustrated by the, yeah, you're like, cause sports are so uncool. <laughs> yeah. But then they became cool <laughs> at some point. Like, <laughs> But sports are the the best. And I like to say I boulder as well, but I love the shame and success and victory of team sports um, because I feel like you learn so much about human psychology and, and understanding like what you can and can't control. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the cool things about the job that I'm in is I work with a crew. Like I work very closely with my crew for six months out of the year, nine months out of the year. We like eat, sleep, and shit next to each other for like days on end. You know, we're constantly around each other and are like, uh, have to be so in tuned with each other's moods and stuff. Cause you need everything to flow smoothly when you're on an assignment. Cause you don't want anybody to get hurt. And that camaraderie, like, sure there, you can access it in the art scene, but it's like, it's not quite as close. And like, I imagine it's very similar to a team sport where you're just like, this is my team and we are dialed. And if we're not dialed, then we like have to get there and have, everybody has to be on the same page. Yeah. 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 And I think there's also the, like, I do believe artists have the kind of demagnetizing thing going on where like, they can't quite enter into a group that comfortably. Um, so it kind of de-incentivizes, them to do so you know like at least i feel like every time i talk to someone on this podcast they they say something like i've never really felt to be a part of a scene or something like i'm always on the outside of some some way of thinking or or some way of drawing or creating well i think that is what makes an artist an artist because they are you know there's something within them that allows them to identify with more than one genre or more than one landscape or more than one culture. And it makes them so special uh, because they're able to bring something from the other side into a new arena. Um, so maybe right. that's like something that is unique to artists. Perhaps? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Do you call yourself an artist? Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I kept going back and forth. Like, what do I like put my professional title as on Instagram or, you know, I'm not on Facebook or whatever. And I'm like, do I put firefighter, but I'm not going to do that. Um, and I think of it as like, I see everything through the lens of an artist. Like, you know, I'm a sensitive person and, um, you know, my experience with the world is creative so yes, I would, I call myself an artist. Okay. So that's definitionally what you're going with for an artist. Yeah. Yeah. I have like a very kind of, uh, dry definition at this point in my life. So it's like, whatever you do most of the day, that's what you are. And so I've been an artist. I don't know if I am one right now. Um, that's like, because it's so weird, you know, people work 
you know, if you want to rag on capitalism, I'm still like confused about other systems and if capitalism is the best or worst, et cetera. But, um, you know, people mostly work their entire life. And so like whatever your job is, you're kind of just like, that's what you are, you know? Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I guess I just won't ever let go of, you know, thinking creatively because it is freeing for my mind, you know, and I, I use that approach when I'm out in the field doing, uh, you know, firework or (sighs) today we had to dig this lady out of a snow, out of the snow, like higher up elevation. And it's like, all right, um, what tools are we going to need to get this woman out of the snow? Like, are we going to have, um, radio communication up there and all of these like different configurations. And that's creative. You know, we have to like hodgepodge all this stuff together, like figure out a truck that has a winch on it. And like, it's all creative ingenuity, like trying to troubleshoot these random problems. Um, right. It's interesting. Cause like, that's where I go. I almost want to go backwards where it's like, okay, you're an artist when you mostly make art. But the reason I want to do that is because there needs to be some respect put on other shit because it all is creative. Like most real jobs have a lot of creativity and, but most people would be super uncomfortable saying that they're artists or creative if they're just digging a woman out of snow, if I understand. This <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't understand how you go from fire to that, but that's cool. And uh, you know what I mean? Like there's like this weird way where even when someone's really good at something, we call it the art of. So there's yeah. a strange conflation um, that I think is largely semantic where people suddenly think, oh, the highest thing you can be is an artist. Obviously, if you can transcend the limitations of the everyday functions of being a carpenter, you're an artist. But uh, wow. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. It's just semantic and it confuses people. And I think that's why there's more and more people who think they want to be artists. And I think that's like a really bad thing, personally, um, because there's nothing worse than a bad artist, in my opinion. <laughs> Can you elaborate? Oh, because it's like a, a very self-centered thing. And when when it, it at its heights, it transcends almost it transcends a lot of things. You know, like I think a great artist does give a lot to the world. And, yeah, but like a bad artist is often lost in delusion, serves the society in no functional way, and has that sense of entitlement that comes with being an artist anyway. And ah, so, you know, it's not. It's a very luxurious identity, and most artists I know, I don't feel that they chose to be artists, but that it is simultaneously a blessing and a curse that mm-hmm. has been foisted upon them, and they're kind of just trying to figure out how to live with that thing. And sure. Yeah. It's not like a fashion, like, but of course when a, you know, culture enters a decadent period, I think, I don't remember if you went to art school, but it was pretty obvious to me like, Oh, 90% of these kids just got D's and still want to be viewed as cool and probably want to do drugs and, and whatnot. So like they went to art school. Yeah, I did go to art school and yes, and they continued doing that during art school. That wasn't my motivation for going to art school. I just was like, I don't know what else I can do like this. I can make things all the time. And 
that works for me. But otherwise, yeah, I don't know. I was like, oh, I like linguistics, but what the heck am I going to do with linguistics? Like be a teacher, read books. I don't know. That's a little too much. But could you not make art, you think? Yeah, I think I could. And I have been, um, you know, I'm in a funny place, right? Uh, I could not make art. Um, and I'm kind of like grappling with that now and my career decisions within the forest service. Um, basically there is enough like freedom for my mind to wander out here in the West, um, that I could not make formal art, but still express myself in ways like I have been working on a garden in the back of my (laughs) government housing. We have a really beautiful yard and I've just been going to town on this garden. And I'm like, if I, for whatever reason, couldn't make quote unquote art, there's there are all of these other things that I could do to get involved in. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Right. So like, uh, I think there's a fear. I've talked to artists about this a lot. Like it's almost like a mistress around the corner. Like, Oh, what if I would be happier not making art? You know, what if I actually was really happy doing X, Y, or Z? Is that some kind of infidelity to this craft? But Oh my God. So when I, you know, when I made the decision to take this job and like step away from having a proper studio, it was horrifying. I was like, I'm letting go of this thing that I've so hard on but that's all ego you know I'd spent a decade like building up a reputation and building a studio practice and sustaining myself on it and uh stepping away from it was like stepping into a void and it's really scary um but I think that it can be really liberating to find other things that can satisfy you as an individual. Um, and then you can take that back to your art practice later. Uh, and it will be that much more wholesome. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think, uh, there's a calcification of identity that occurs in modernity where like we forget how complex the lives of artists in the past were. You know, they go to war, they'd have pneumonia for 10 years, they'd have children, they do all this shit. And there's this like tendency for everyone to want to be one thing that others can easily identify and essentially commodify or feel safe with, you know? Yeah. I think that's at the heart of that, that problem. But the way I view it is, just as a relationship should come from a place of not compulsion or need, it should come from a decision to be with someone. The same thing should be true for art, I believe. So you shouldn't be in this kind of um, position where you have no other alternatives in life and you feel that you have to be this thing. Because I don't feel that this is a decision to be an artist. That's kind of like a, a life sentence to be one. Yeah. That eats at you. And, uh, also, <laughs> the light, you know, the lives lived of our generation. It's debatable if I want to see how that's processed through art. I'm not really interested in the opinions of 
30-year-olds and 20-year-olds, and, and I don't know what they can bring to the the canvas in some sense. Um, that's a tricky thing for me. You know, like, again, there's we're in a weird phase of civilization, and what an artist is is, is quite confusing to me. Yeah, I totally understand. And um, I don't know what direction to look in, um, in terms of, you know, finding an outlet for the arts that is wholesome, so to speak. Um, you know, children, working with children in the arts is very fulfilling. Uh, I think that that is a good way to be involved because it just, you know, on the purest level, like giving kids the space to express themselves totally freely is important. And the same thing, well, and it doesn't have to be just children, you know, people of any age. Um, so if we cut out high art from the thing and just like let people explore, um, things that they want to make, like using their hands to do something, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, so for the, me, that's the two things, right? You're either, and if I'm creating a binary, like you either spend most of your time producing or consuming. And that distinction is far more important to me because, and first of all, I believe there's good consumption, right? There's like, there's correct ways to consume food, uh, products, et cetera, consciously. Mm-hmm. And then there's negative mindless consumption, but I still find that production is a far more um, elevating practice. And what I thought as a young person was, oh, I like to draw. I'm getting validated for drawing. Then mm-hmm. I get older. I keep drawing because it's my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I assume like, oh, drawing is the thing I do unto itself. And then as I became like 30, I realized, no, drawing was just a way of thinking visually on paper and actually, I'm much more satisfied thinking my, of myself as just a person who produces and creates things. I don't want to say creative because there's a weird tech vernacular to that term, I find. Um, <laughs> but like, I think that's what you're saying in some sense. Like, there is so many. And what's funny is like, this is the this is what humanity is to me. Is like whatever you encounter in a divine sense when you are creating a garden, art, creating community, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's all it means, um, largely to be mm-hmm. alive. And, um, it's partially why I'm horrified of the future. One, because consumerism will increase Two, because AI will supplant, I think artists as a unique feature mm-hmm. of humanity, because I don't think the humans of the future will be able to tell the difference. I'm rather cynical, um, about it, but mm-hmm. I, I think that's like, I don't even believe in making like, making kids more um, creative in an artistic sense. I just believe in making, like bringing people back to that notion that like creating or producing things yourself is a deeply satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And if it means like dismantling the whole art school infrastructure, gallery infrastructure, and like (sighs) explaining the lack of import it has, um, and then, yeah, giving people skill sets to think creatively, uh, and problem solve in the way that artists know how to do, because they, you know, we understand a medium, we learn a medium and then we can, uh, with it. 
um, I think that would be a good trajectory for the arts. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that's another interesting thing I learned as I got older. It's like, well, you can really like something. Like, I really like making comic books. Um, mm-hmm. And But you can feel, and I actually liked the comic scene mostly when I was in it. Um, mm-hmm. But you can love making paintings, you know? And then you can also find that the world that surrounds it is filth, and it doesn't align with your values at all. And you have mm-hmm. to, you have a decision to make in a weird way where it's like, you have to be comfortable um, engaging with those dynamics of your career, you know, the social components and, and the structure that it exists. in. and I think I don't envy that, that kind of um, problem, because I remember selling uh, at my gallery, like in realizing, oh, this one's going to go into a storage container. And mm-hmm. talking to a painter about that, and and he had just become either numb or comfortable to the to the idea that this was like an investor mentality, and mm-hmm. uh, that's why I just stopped with that whole thing too. It's just like I didn't love that idea, and I wasn't comfortable enough with it. But maybe if I was making millions of dollars, I would have found a way to be comfortable with it. If I'm being brutally honest, yeah, sure, and I completely agree. And this was again, like the number one reason why I stepped away from it. Um, well, one, I would have had to continue working super hard and I don't know that I ever would have gotten to that point as, um, as an artist where I was, you know, making those kinds of sales. Um, but I don't want to cater to that industry. Yeah. You know, I'm, like I'm a public servant at this point and it's so satisfying because you know, I've built up this skill set um to get people out of bad situations and um you know bring people up beneath me to teach them how I how to do the things that I'm doing uh in the work with the forest service um yeah and it just feels more uh supportive to you know the earth supportive to our communities to be in this position rather than trying to hustle through and get a gallery show and then sell a bunch of stuff to to somebody who's going to put some things in a storage unit i think the word service is the the thing i latch on to and that's that's where it's hard with the the fine art pursuit is to find that component of it um, because if I'm honest, like you can do that in a very ham fisted way where like, you're trying to make your art serve like this very particular, particular social function. And then it kind of almost starts to feel like propaganda to me where like, cause fine art is largely, I like the frivolity of it. I like that. It's not telling me what to think or trying to show me a vision of the world. That's better. It's like amoral, but then you get caught in that. And, uh, for me, there wasn't enough service in making like really weird comic books that were for myself. Like maybe, okay, yeah. yeah, maybe it made people happy, like weirdos like myself. Um, but it wasn't tangible. Like, Oh, that person, like I'm literally just helping that person. Um, you know what I mean? 
I, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I am wondering in your experience, do you feel like you have made enough comics? <laughs> no, but I also feel like I, I, I'm actually working on one now in my spare time. Um, like for an hour a day, I just draw, but do I feel that I've made enough comics? That's an interesting question because there's like this um, supply and demand within myself that I have to ask myself about. But I don't think mm -hmm. that I was meant to make comics in the last like five years because uh, one, I just felt that the well was dry in a way that I, yeah. never, I never thought it would be dry when I was like 25. But mm -hmm. You might say like the life well in that scenario was dry and then the art well was high and then it went down. And it's like I need to kind of bring some water over back and forth. And um, so have I made enough? No, but like I think I accept the finite reality of life and that there's uh, more to it than like putting numbers on the board in respect to comics, you know. I do dream of like splint splintering myself off into infinite versions who could just make comics. Forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, I and gotcha. Just imagining what he would make, but you know, I think death is interesting and tragic and, and I have to accept that part of this life is understanding that balance. Um, it's part of why I, I interview people with kids because they made a decision that is very time consuming, that isn't art related. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's um, a beautiful thing, but I don't think it's, I think it's a thing that's usually very discouraged as well. And um, I think it's valiant and, and in some ways heroic if they do a good job at both. I think it's really, really difficult, but mm -hmm. in short or sorry, in long, I, um, no, I don't feel like I've made enough comics, but I also don't feel that I'm, I should force them because that's something I started doing whenever I got attention. I wouldn't say I was getting money for my comics, but I was getting attention and, uh, mm -hmm. I encountered the same issue you spoke of where it's kind of, um, you know, it's more like deadline and, and discipline related. And I think there's a discipline is great. I think, um, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a bad thing. So, you know, I will say maybe I was a coward and I just like didn't know how to respond to a small level of notoriety. I'm completely open to that as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love attention. So <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I started picking up notoriety, notoriety, I was you know, totally game. I was like, oh. yeah, I can handle this. And it's, it's a challenge in and of itself to, um, basically operate a small business, uh, so that can be really fun and interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that I have made enough ceramics for, for the time being, you know, I cranked so much work out between 2013 and 2019 that I'm like enough of me physically exists in the world that, um, I don't really have to do it now. Um, and it's nice for me to accept that, uh, and not feel so compelled to need to add to that at this time. It might change later. Uh, I also have a floor loom and I'm getting back into weaving. Um, that's cool. So we'll, 
yeah, we'll see how that goes. And mostly that's just like exploring textiles. Um, because I, I love textiles. I love yarn. Um, I love tapestries. Uh, so there are different ways that I can put things out into the world and explore, but I just don't, I don't think that anybody needs any more <laughs> Jessica vases. Well, at this, at this time. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's an interesting thing where, yeah, it's hard. It would be hard to say that they need more Jessica vases or more Michael comics as like a, as a need. And thus the process has to be satisfying enough on the artist side for it to continue. Mm -hmm. And when that falls off, it's kind of, it becomes fraught with danger, like even continuing to make it. It's yeah, also, exactly. Me, you know, I don't know, like my work was so strange that it couldn't even connect to the majority of my family. And, and then I started doing like furniture and build outs and CNC work and boom, suddenly it's like, there's a real connection and a real respect. And I know that there's some weakness in that notion, I guess, but at the same time, um, you know, because you could say, well, you're just like succumbing to some very simple feeling about being accepted by the suburban individual or something. Although I don't. That's fine, though. Yeah, That's I don't fine. To this idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't. I'm. I'm just like uh, making a counter argument to my revelation, but like the idea that my mom could like what I make. I always use my parents as like a kind of. Um, it's a very teenage thing to do, but like, oh, if I can make something that they don't get or is shocking to them, it's like some step in the right direction. <laughs> and uh, this is like very much art school. I mean, it kind of does it with like kind of socialist notions, I feel, where there's like these classes of people or groups of people that should be satisfied by the fine art and others should be completely bewildered or offended by it. And I think that's like really pathetic as a as a perspective, largely. So you would like it to be more accessible to the general population? To each its own. Like, I accept that in my 20s, I had to make the work I had to make. But I also accept, yeah. I accept that now as like a human. Like, I feel more human than I did when I was 20. I was like a, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I, I think it has to be organic it has to be genuine. It shouldn't be like reactionary or put on. And I think art school encourages a kind of um, false persona to sell people in the way of like, you know, I just watch cartoons. I have four older brothers. I read comic books. Like those are my influences. I'm never going to be deeply influenced by anything I learned about in art school, basically. Um, mm -hmm. okay. and I accept that limitation. I also accept that it might not sell, um, because I don't like oil paint because I don't, you know, like, it's just mm -hmm. like, uh, that's who I am. I'm maybe not as malleable as I hope in that way. Um, yeah, I think fine art has failed largely. I think there was a certain strain of thought that, uh, embraced the notion that like the blue collar, individual was um, backwards and idiotic and couldn't comprehend transcendent art. And I think the opposite is maybe true that academia yeah. created such a huge wall so they could sell anything it could muster up 
when married with the market and no yeah. one, no one could question it because there was nothing to question you know yeah and it it isolates that group of people from the other group of people from the blue collar people and that's not what we need as society right now we need to come together and we need to have more common ground um than fighting with each other because we can't relate um so whatever it takes to bring sides together, um, I think we need to really work on that. Yeah, and I don't, nor do I want to, it's complicated. I don't want to be a proponent of instrumentalizing art. Like I think art, one of the things that's dangerous about art is people use it as a way to convince or as an instrument for persuasion. And uh, it's something I'm very against uh, in fact, I, I run an art center as the art director, mm -hmm. and I tried to be really careful about that. Um, I don't think art should be in the service of anything other than itself. So there's a contradiction maybe to what I was saying earlier. But what I mean is that it shouldn't be used as a way to Trojan horse other things, like smuggle in other things. I kind of wish that I could do that. I kind of wish that I was so passionate about a thing like, uh, some politic that, uh, that I wanted to make art about it to share, share a message, uh, hmm. something really monumental. Um, but I don't have, I'm not, I'm definitely not apolitical, but I just, that's it's very personal to me and I don't want to um, throw it on anybody else. And I don't want my creativity to be like, I don't want to express myself that way. Um, but I see other people. I think I live a very privileged life, you know, um, and growing up in this country, I think that we are coming from a place of privilege where maybe we're not dealing with the same issues that other people are, or I mean, we're, we're definitely not obviously, but, uh, when I see somebody working to express something that, um, they're so passionate about, uh, because they've been, um, let me see. I can't find the words. They've been so oppressed. Um, that they need to get it out that way. I think that that's so special. Um, and I just don't have anything that I need to share that, <laughs> that way. And I, I, I feel a little weak, um, as like, I could use the arts as a platform to spread the, spread the message. And, it, but I kind of feel like I do that with, um, you know, my career trajectory with fire where, I had a creative background, um, and people know who I am. And I'm like, I made the step into public service. And I think that in itself can be a message. Like, look, there are other things out there that can be really rewarding and valuable to society that might be worth pursuing. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a complicated, um, thing you just expressed. I think politics is maybe the lowest rung of thought. So, um, I don't think it's a problem to have work that's apolitical. I think, you know, there's, I don't know exactly how the rung works, but I think it's, I think politics is downstream from 
at, at the very least philosophy mm-hmm. um, and probably spirit spirituality or spiritual concerns and i, I mm-hmm. think as you point out there's like it's kind of like this idea of creating community which i think is largely bullshit um people didn't make community in the past they simply lived in communities and mm-hmm. we are now artificially attempting to create things largely with people we already agree with um and it never works i've tr- i've tried it a couple of times and i find mm-hmm. it to be uh it's very thin and it breaks very easily and yeah it- and that's the same way I feel about work that is quote unquote political or people who are political, like to live life in a certain manner surely sends the best signal or message to an individual. I wouldn't mm-hmm. call that political, um, but I'm really not interested in people talking a talk or um, drawing a draw in a, in a weird way. I'm just mm-hmm. interested in what people do and how they treat yeah. individuals. Um, yeah. And the artist can get so easily lost in everything but walking the walk that that's probably why it's appealing to both of us to just like, oh, let's just go do something. Let's go do this thing. Um, Yeah. Yours is more noble because it's, um, again, I think it's more service oriented. I'm playing a different game, admittedly. (laughs) No. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's whatever route we choose, but, you know, as long as we're aiming to serve a greater good um, and not only serve ourselves, I think is the most important thing. So these vases, Mm -hmm. I guess we should talk about the vases. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) You still make them? Yes. Um, So... I moved to Utah uh, in March for a permanent here, and I did not bring my kiln. Um, however, I spent all of winter, like five months, doing two different ceramic residencies, mm. and I made a ton of work there. Uh, a lot of vases and also a lot of sculptures. So I'm definitely, I still think about them a lot. I think about containers for flowers and I think about, uh, you know, these forms. I love the forms so much. It's my go-to shape to make. Um, I love, uh, working on the surfaces glazing. Um, and I probably still will make them because it's just, you know, it's so fun for me to work in that way. But at this point, like I'm not doing it at all now because work gets busy and I don't have a kiln here. Got you. How would you describe the difference between, I don't know how to put this, making the vases as a professional with deadlines versus making them whenever you have the time to do so, but without any. Oh my God. Yeah. It, uh, it's so liberating to be able to make the work that I want to make, to explore surfaces that I want to explore on my own time frame. Um, it's total freedom. It's total playtime. Uh, having deadlines and working on larger scale production was fun for me because it was a challenge, uh, because I had to really timeline it out. 
and get materials, make sure I have enough time for all the kiln firings and stuff. But just being able to play is so satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if I could just continue working in this way forever, then I'll, pro- I'll probably be fine. So you accept, Where? well, I don't even know if this is true, but it's like actually a question I ask when people have kids, like, do you, are you, one, are you using your time more effectively? And two, is your production dropping off because of them? Um, now people give different answers, but oftentimes the truth is like, there's a kind of energy to a compressed um, schedule where when you do mm-hmm. get time to make art, you just explode with uh, creativity. Now, convenient where like you probably are going to make less vases in your lifetime obviously because you aren't doing it all the time yeah but i do find when i have time to draw now it's it's much more um precious to me yes definitely so not having been able to work much at all last summer um and then being able to just only make work from October through December and then January or February into March. Like I was full throttle, like so productive, made so many things. Um, but then that's a whole other story. You know, I was at a residency, so there's an expectation, there's sort of an expectation to be productive during that time. And I, I don't know if I really liked it. Uh, But I also think that, um, doing it for five months straight, I was just getting burnt out. Um, because I was like, I have to use this time so wisely. I have to like really make a lot of stuff because I won't be able to so much over the summer. Um, and that didn't feel so good. Uh, and the activity is I'm relaxed now, like now that, um, it's a little harder to come by and I don't have all of the resources here. I can, I get really frantic about making things and feel like I need to stay productive all the time, but I'm trying to change my mind, like change how my mind works and uh, just like downshift a little bit and just go a little bit slower and be okay with, you know, reading a book or cooking or doing yard work. Um, Mm. and taking, like, if I don't spend an hour a day making something, it's okay because I'm doing other things that are filling the pot back up, you know, replenishing my, myself. Yeah. It's hard to know if you can change that, about one's process. I think you can definitely like overload yourself, but I also, um, I feel like, like I accept a certain level of, um, I don't know how to word it. I wouldn't call it like frenetic energy, but I know that there's like, I can't relax for, for too long. I'm almost suspicion of like suspicious of like vacation. (laughs) Um, So I accept that, right? Like I almost know like, all right, the mind needs to eat this much food. I need to set the plate early in the day for this much stuff. Um, If I put less on the plate, I'm going to feel some level of shame or lack of fulfillment. 
And I almost feel like that's just like, I don't know. I'm curious. Have you found that you can actually change the way you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just going outside, going for walks. Um, because what's that? I can't do that. Uh, like i don't my legs don't work (laughs) they're broken (laughs) um yeah so i definitely think that you can recondition your mind to slowing down and feeling less of a drive to have to do things all the time 100 percent Um, not every day, you know, some days I'm like, I have to do all of these things. Um, and they're like little errands, but, uh, yeah, it, but it's a conscious decision. You really have to do it. You have to decide to do it. Um, yeah, I've even, you know, I go for really long walks and, um, most of the time I wear headphones, but I've been forcing myself to stop wearing headphones and just be more present. Um, And I find that after all of it, like, I feel way more chill. Like I'm, my mind is more quiet. And a lot of that is, uh, you know, like physical exertion. If I get myself all tuckered out, then, you know, I, the anxiety has gone. Like the need to do all of this stuff kind of goes away because my body's tired and my mind can rest. Right. No, I so, definitely understand that. Um, I just live in suburban New Jersey and nature is, <laughs> it's not really the thing. Yeah. You got some parks. Well, I mean, when I lived in Philly, I would have to leave. I would leave the city yeah. and go, you know, I drive for like minimum 45 minutes or up to two hours to get up to like Bucks County and go for walks in the woods and stuff. And I wouldn't do it that often, um, but I would try to do it once or twice, once a week or every few weeks. Yeah, I mean, the truth is, shamefully, I just love humans and all the bullshit. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm a, I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I'm a big fan of nature. Yeah. But I almost am using that term precisely, um, a fan. You know, like, I definitely feel it's regenerative um, aspects when I'm in it. But I, like some part of me is just like god and like of course i complain about humanity sometimes but i feel some kind of pull towards the the social world even if i struggle with it um and so even when i ha- had the brief periods of romanticizing living in like a cabin um i quickly learned that like oh this is just bullshit you know like <laughs> I, I, I don't think i could do it like you're a, not alone. Most people, most people feel that way. And that's why most people live in cities. Um, I am, I've learned this about myself over the past, like, I don't know, maybe six or seven years that I'm so introverted and living in a city wrecked me, but I didn't even know what was wrong. Uh, until like, after I already left, I was just anxious all the time, always stressed out you know, took the forest service job on a whim and then realized that this was the best thing in the world, moving to a town of 600 people where the nearest resource, the nearest like bigger town is a two and a half hour drive away. I'm like, Oh, Oh my God, I can finally like breathe. Um, but people are different and have different needs. But I think, you know, realizing what it is that 
uh, works for you, you know, you have to figure that out. Yeah. And then I don't even know how different people are. Cause like it's, we have a type of, I'm not saying you're an idiot, but we have like, a <laughs> cause I had the same experience. Like we have an idiocy when it comes to living in cities where it's like, Oh, you know, stepping back, it's like, Oh really? Um, living in a shithole with constant random loud noises appearing with no trees around with, with no natural cues made you feel shitty as a pe- person, you know, like it's so, um, it's so readily obvious when you get out of it. Um, you know, I remember like going into Brooklyn sometimes. I've never lived in New York City, but being like, Jesus, like the sound of this train, which was so um, pronounced to me and so ignored, yeah. like, quote unquote, ignored by the people living there. Yeah. All, all that shit adds up like crazy. I think so. Yeah. Um, but then I guess for some people, um, you know, there's enough going on outside of that, that they are fulfilled, um, that they can tune it out because they're stoked about all the other stuff. I'm just such a fragile, delicate flower. I'm like, I can't handle this shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I don't believe it. I just think like, like we can be conscious of it or we can be unconscious, but I just think we're not as adaptable as we hope as humans. Although, you know, no. I do hear crazy shit where someone's like, yeah, I just ate pizza for three decades and I'm perfectly in health. So I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> I think we're very adaptable, but I think that, uh, people have lost, you know, what's that? I think superficially, like the top half of our health is adaptable. And then I think there's just like, you have to have the humility to be like, oh, yeah, like actually living in this shithole is going to that's very cheap to live in is going to have a negative impact. Um, and that sucks. You know, there's real. Impact. I think you have to be like hyper conscious of yourself, your needs, your surroundings, um, and then you can adapt. Hmm. Uh, and a lot of people are not in touch with themselves in such a way. Um, but they're capable of it. It it just requires work on yourself. Um, where were, are you? Are you born again? Jersey. No. Yeah, Cherry Hill. Oh. Jersey. Oh, Cherry. Yeah, Cherry Hill. Cherry oh. Hill, New Jersey. All right. That's Barrington. That's, still counts. Still counts for what? It still <laughs> counts as New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, I was so I was born in South Jersey, and I was bo- born in Cooper Hospital in Camden. Nice. Um, and then moved to the Carolinas when I was four years old, and I lived like on the border of North and South Carolina uh, for most of my childhood. And then I was like sixteen, and we moved to Florida for two years. Nice. And then after I graduated high school, I moved up to Philly for school. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, you're fortunate to have been born in such a potent, spiritually uplifting. <laughs> it's raw. It's New Jersey? Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's the most beautiful place on the earth, probably. Yeah. Such a special. I mean. Special place. 
I'm like a God's child because (laughs) no, um, no, my dad lived in Cape May for uh, a lot of my twenties. So I was living in Philly, but could go down to Cape May weekends and stuff and go to the beach. It was super nice. I love Cape May. Yeah. We got things. Yeah. You got cows, you got tomatoes, you got corn. You know, it, it, you know, I just chose, I have a cool family. So, um, and they all live in New Jersey. So nature, (laughs) nature be damned, you know, that's just the trade-offs. You just can't. No, but there is, I mean, you're in Rutherford. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There is nature abound in Jersey, but maybe not in Rutherford, but Cape May was, you know, it's not developed. I think there's a moratorium on development. Um, and they keep the Cape proper, like super pristine, natural. There's a wildlife refuge out there. So I got plenty of outside time in that area. Yeah. I'll make a note of that. Yeah. Probably won't go, but you know, (laughs) I I boulder, but I like, I don't even go outside. I'm in a gym, you know? Yeah. Well, there aren't really many rocks in New Jersey. (laughs) that's not true no rocks no i mean i could go to the gunks but um you could go to the gunks but gunks doesn't really have much bouldering oh no yeah no i'm still very much like i just like the puzzle i like the colors i like the forms it's like a aesthetic experience you know yeah for sure so i started climbing because i was climbing in a bouldering gym and i loved it um and then i started sport climbing outside and i loved that more um and then I started trad climbing and had a crazy accident and had a 20 foot ground fall. <laughs> it was like, I got to take a break from climbing. <laughs> not going to do this, but I, yeah. Bouldering in a gym is so cool because it's safe. Uh, you know, that's you not, have a bad, what's that? That's the opposite of cool. Safe. Is, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's pretty lame, yeah, but we, we have it's a saying in our fabrication shop and that's safety last. So we're wearing like <laughs> and breaking thumbs and things, but it's all worth it. Yeah. Hell yeah. I should incorporate that into my like fire briefings. <laughs> you know, we go through our standard operating procedures and then the last one is safety last. That's right. You got to live. You can't, you can't be suffocated by all these rules. Yeah. Well, look, I got to go. Um, I'm screening this film. Yeah, for sure. Um, Thanks for talking. This is like, you know, I live out here with a bunch of blue collar individuals and I don't really get to talk about the art world ever. So um, this was a nice conversation. Yeah. Good luck with the fires. Thanks, man. Got to put them out. Eh, I guess you do. Yeah. Some of them we like to let burn. Exactly. Yeah. All right. All right, man. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Music by Dory Bavarsky and Mingja Chen. Next up, we have David Henri Anderson.